On Friday evening, I went to the Billy Moore Correctional Center in Overton, Texas. It was an honor to go be with those men, those brothers in white, and to preach at their regularly scheduled worship experience on every Friday at 4 p.m. I was the guest of Chaplain Laurie Tuttle, who is a member here at Marvin, and maybe you recognize her because she sings in the choir. She's a tall woman, her head is shaved, and she is on fire with the love of Jesus. I'm so grateful for her invitation to go be on their turf. Those brothers in white welcomed me into their home, their house, and I love doing prison ministry. It got me thinking about other times, other experiences I've had in the prison. Several years ago, I served on a Kairos team at Hightower State Prison in Dayton, Texas. Kairos is a four-day short course on Christian faith. It's basically the walk to Emmaus for prison, the prison system. And so while I was working that weekend, there was a brother in white named Luis that I got to know real well and came to find out that Luis was from Galeana, Nuevo Leon, Mexico. And that stands out to me because at that season of our life and ministry, Leanne and I were taking teams twice a year for about 10 years to Galeana. Students over spring break, adults over Labor Day week, March and September, like clockwork, Galeana. So Luis and I are talking about cultural local landmarks, places we've eat, people we may have had in common. He knew the shelter that we would go to work at. But most of all, there was a love for Luis. Luis had a love for Jesus that just glowed and emanated from who he was. He was an inmate who volunteered on that particular Kairos weekend because he'd been to Kairos before. And you have to experience Kairos before you can participate as a volunteer on the weekend. The thing about each Kairos weekend, there are 42 inmates that have made application to go on this weekend. And the reason they do is not because they love Jesus. Many of them, if not all, are hardened. But it's a break in the mundane, the routine that they are a part of day in and day out. And for Thursday to Sunday, they don't have to do what they normally do, which means leaving their cell, leaving their job, leaving the hot heat of Southeast Texas for the cool of the educational wing or even of the gym. But more than that, the food that's brought in from the free world, the outside world, eating brisket baked potatoes and hamburger pizza and cookies and cookies and more cookies. They eat it up and sometimes make themselves sick because they don't get that inside the prison. Well, over the course of the weekend, that particular weekend, there was a hardened gang member who was standing there during opening worship that Thursday at least he was standing. And my friend Luis was singing his guts out, standing right behind him, beside him, like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Except he wasn't looking towards the band. He was looking at this guy. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. Trying to convince him that God is that good and that Jesus is that for him, that Jesus' heart was for him, loved him, and this guy wouldn't have any of it. 
But over the course of the weekend, this hardened gang member's heart melted. And ultimately, he laid his colors down. He left his gang, which meant blood in, blood out. There was a fight to get into that gang in the first place. There was going to be a fight to get out. And this gang leader became a leader in the church at Hightower, if you will. Luis was a leader in the church at Hightower. He had, this gang member had experienced the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They embodied it. That's what happens when you experience it. The resurrection changes everything. So what is the resurrection? It is the reality that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He has been raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Wah, wah, wah. But Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of all those who have ever died and that he's been first means there will be others. That Jesus was raised from the dead substantiates all of his claims about being God, being one with God, being the son of God. That he was raised from the dead means that our Lord and King, our leader and savior is no longer dead. He's not buried in the ground, not entombed in a great tomb. He is alive. Jesus is alive, glory to God. This Jesus is the source of our faith, the object of our affection, the purpose for the living of our lives. And he appeared to Thomas the week after he was raised from the dead because Thomas was not there that first Easter Sunday evening. So here we are. The scripture that Saber read a while ago, it was the evening of that first Easter. And according to John, Mary Magdalene was the first person, the only person thus far in the story to have seen Jesus alive. She went to the tomb early that Sunday morning. She noticed the stone had been rolled away. She was shocked to her core, ran back to the disciples. Peter and John ran to the tomb, went in, saw the cloths lying there, folded linens as well. And they walked back to where they'd been staying because they did not know the scriptures, verse 9 tells us that Jesus must rise from the dead. Mary stayed behind at the tomb, and she was the first to see the risen Lord, and she immediately left to tell the disciples. Later that evening, the disciples are gathered together in a house behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders, and I'm not sure what they were afraid of. Maybe they were afraid that theirs would be a similar fate as to what Jesus's was. 
Maybe they were afraid that they would be accused of having stole Jesus' body, stolen Jesus' body. Maybe they were afraid that Mary Magdalene hadn't really seen what she thought she'd seen, or maybe she did, and there was some uncertainty around what that really meant for them, the implications of the resurrection. Maybe the disciples' fear was legitimate, was awe-inspired, not knowing what to expect when they encounter the glory of the risen Lord and what that might mean for them in the living out of the rest of their lives. Whatever the case, they were behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, and Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. And after saying this, he showed his disciples his hands and his side, and they were overjoyed when they saw the risen Lord. And then Jesus commissioned them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The same way Christ was sent by God the Father is the same way that we are sent into the world. And I wonder if we really get that, really live our lives with that as our context. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they will be forgiven. And we're quick to think, well, who am I to judge people? What kind of authority do I have to forgive sins? Jesus's presence gives us the authority to forgive sins. In fact, every week, Sunday, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the point is, we will receive that forgiveness to the extent that we are willing to forgive others. It is in us to forgive people, to be reconciled to them. And then that's it. We don't know if Jesus vanished from their midst, if they shared a meal, if they stayed up late talking old times, or hit the streets in this newfound courage that God had given them. We do know that Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples for that experience, and we don't know where he was. The disciples could not contain their zeal, excitement, their faith. We have seen the Lord. But Thomas' words to them were, unless I see the nail scars in his hands and put my fingers into them, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Did you catch the pronouns? I, me, my, me, 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 me. I wonder what kind of impact that made on the disciples. Did they stew over it? Like, what's wrong with him? Did they get over it quickly and move on? I wonder what they did that first week, having been commissioned by the Lord Jesus, empowered, authorized to forgive other people, yet having one who was so stubbornly doubtful in their midst. Thomas must have had a semblance of brilliance, moments of brilliance, because he was one of the 12 listed in every gospel account as a disciple called by Jesus to follow him. He was even sent out by 
twos, uh, two by two when Jesus sent the disciples in Luke chapter nine to proclaim the kingdom, to heal people, to cast out demons. You know he experienced relative success even for brief moments at a time, but in John's gospel, Thomas is also singled out on at least two occasions prior to this one that we've just read this morning. Both times opening mouth to insert foot. First, in John chapter 11, where Thomas said, let us go also that we might die with him. This is the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And for Thomas, this decision would lead to an ill-fated journey that meant sure and certain death for Jesus. And Thomas is willing to lay down his life as well, which is noble but surely misdirected. It's noble that Thomas was willing to incite a revolution in the name of the one leading this movement. But Thomas's misdirection is not in his nobility. It's his inability to see the possibility that Jesus brings to the circumstance of our lives. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And you have him living inside of you. He doesn't risk his life to go to funerals. Jesus does resurrections. He has the ability to see things not as they are, but as they can be. And then he speaks those things into existence. And he doesn't need our bravado, doesn't need our machismo. He needs us fully present as attentive participants with him in his story that's being written. He's written us into his story and wants us to be a part of it, active in it. Jesus doesn't see things as they are, but as they can be, that's faith. And Thomas doubted. At least he could not see what Jesus was seeing. The other time Thomas put his foot in his mouth was in the upper room on the night before Jesus' death where he blurted out, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus had just stooped so low as to wash his disciples' feet. He just instituted the sacrament of Holy Communion where he compared his flesh and blood to the Passover lamb. He revealed that he was gonna be betrayed by one of the 12, that the first among equal, Simon Peter, was about to deny him. But worst of all, now Jesus is saying that he's going to leave them, going to prepare a place for them, and you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. Thomas didn't understand Jesus' purpose, that he came into this world to go to the cross to defeat sin and death, rising from the dead, and in so doing, he would be reconciled to God once for all forever made right with God and with each other. His disciples thought Jesus was gonna establish an earthly kingdom. And when he said, I'm gonna leave you, it freaked them out just a little bit. Thomas was not sure what this meant. He wanted a roadmap. Jesus gave the destination. For three years running, Thomas had been in the map with Jesus. And now he doesn't even know the way. Jesus famously replied, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one 
comes to the Father except by me. I know you understand no one comes to the Father except through me. God the Father is the destination. Jesus Christ is the way of life. And Christ allows us, he enables us and empowers us to know and experience the presence of God and all his goodness and all his glory. The most ultimate relationship that any one of us will ever have is with the one true God and Father of us all, made possible through Christ our King, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That relationship has implications for all eternity, but even and especially for our eternity right here, right now, as we live out the rest of our Days, it doesn't begin when we die. It starts when we receive. And Thomas didn't get it. Misdirected zeal, misunderstood who Jesus was, absent altogether on the greatest day, this very first Easter Sunday evening. And I know it's easy to pick on Thomas since we have the written word and 2,000 years of retrospect and church history to go by. Thomas was called. He was sent. He experienced Jesus preaching, healing, and all of the things. Followed Jesus. Had the form of religion. But Thomas lacked its power. John Wesley is the founder of our Methodist movement. And three centuries ago, he said... I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists will ever cease to exist, either in England or in the States. But I am afraid that they exist having the appearance of religion, but lacking its power. He would call that type of Christian the almost Christian. Nominal at best. They're right there. They're missing something. Kevin Watson said, someone who lives an outwardly Christian life in almost every way but lacks a genuine faith and a deep love for God, neighbor, and self, that one is an almost Christian. That comes, transformation comes only by the person and work of Jesus Christ who can change our heart we can change our behavior, but only God can change the heart. And the way he did it is when the time was right. God stepped down out of heaven in the person and work of Jesus. He gave God a face and a name, lived and died a brutal death, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. When he did, because he did, went from being someone outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who claim his name, Jesus. And Thomas didn't know this Jesus. He had the appearance of a follower of Christ, but lacked its power altogether. That very first Easter Sunday evening, Christ appeared to the disciples. Where was Thomas? What was he doing? How is it that he missed out on this monumental occasion? For Thomas, the resurrection was not yet real. Its impact not felt. His experience up to that point in time was nominal at best. He needed proof. He was full of doubt, maybe even hatred, loathing for self and others, all because he missed out. 
wrong place at the wrong time. And I can only imagine feeling bitter, frustrated, isolated, because everybody else had something that I'm lacking. There's a holy envy. The resurrection changes everything. And unless we've experienced it, we cannot embody it. And Thomas missed out on the experience. Like I said, on Friday, I went to Billy Moore Correctional Center, and I'm so grateful for Lori Tuttle, her invitation that got me inside that place. I've been to prison on many occasions, and my favorite thing is to look those brothers in white in the eye and tell them I love them, to shake their hands and to hug their necks, to validate their existence because they are image bearers. Yes, they made wrong decisions and find themselves in that place, but God is working in their lives. Whether they realize it or not, God is still pursuing them. I've been to prison on many occasions, and this is what I've come to know about that inmate population. No matter how many times I go into that facility, I am exiting that place that same day. And for those guys, my time there is a drop in the bucket because it's their world, their life, it's all they know. I know that when I'm there and I see the guys that I'm with, whether Bible study or worship, it's, there, it's, it's that they're there because of some privilege, because they've asked and they've had to fill out the paperwork to get permission to enter into that place. And maybe they're just there for the food, but that gives God just enough to work with. I know that during the brief moments I'm with those guys, there is a holy envy that I experience because I feel like an outsider. There is a captive audience, no pun intended. And if they're in a Bible study, they have written on every square inch of white space because that's all the time they have to do. If they're not working, they're in their cell and they're studying and writing and praying. If they're in solitary confinement, they're praising God to the glory of his name. If they're in worship, they might be worshiping like this or in the guy beside them ear hole so that they get a hold of, that Christ gets a hold of them. I know that the men I encounter, they participate life to the fullest, and they take that life when they scatter to the cell block, praying for their celly, pray for someone else, that the gospel slams into their soul, that revival might come into that unit, and revival comes to the units that I've been on. It comes all the time, got nothing to do with me. God is at work there. God is at work here. I think about my brothers in white with a holy envy because even though they are in prison, they are not imprisoned. And I wonder about us in the free world, what our blinders are, what our habits, hurts, or hangups are, what it is we're struggling with, why we're so timid or scared or afraid or clueless. God, what are you doing? Why are we in our own little prison of our own creation? Maybe it's because we have not experienced the resurrection. And just like those brothers in white, you have got to know God sees you. He is coming for you. 
whether you know it or not. And just being here this morning may be positioning yourself just enough for the Holy Spirit to ignite fire. And what if we experience the resurrected Lord? And I'm not talking individually. What if the body of Christ that is core worship at Marvin Church experienced the resurrected Lord? How might that affect shape, pace the culture here at Marvin Church. What might it look like when we scatter, not individually, but a part of something bigger than ourselves, in tune with what God is doing, because we are getting to know his voice here in these experiences when we're gathered together. What if the gospel slammed into our collective soul, and we knew not only forgiveness, but freedom? It's a thing. And Thomas missed out on that because he hadn't positioned himself. He wasn't there in that room. Who knows why? The Lord is with you. Even better, he is in you. And there is something he has for us And I am ready to lay down the gauntlet and go hard after Jesus. What about you? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we worship to close our time together, the gospel would slam into our soul. And I pray that with the light that is within this holy and sacred place, not holy because of brick and mortar, but because of you, Jesus. I pray that that same light would be with us as we scatter into a dark and hurting world. And in so scattering, would you do a work that draws people to yourself? But Lord, in these moments that remain, would you draw us to yourself? Would you heal our hurts? Would you set us free from this fear of missing out? And would you do a work that only you can do? Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.